Welcome to the Encounter Community Church Podcast, where we take God's Word and look at how we can utilize, practically apply it, and implement it into our lives. Welcome back to the Encounter Community Church Podcast. My name is Ken Ballard Jr., and I am the pastor here at Encounter Community Church. And last week, I talked about how excited I am for Christmas. And let me tell you, it hasn't changed. (laughs) I am so excited again about this holiday season. And I just started thinking about just some of my favorite Christmas memories. And and there was one that came to mind. I remember I was a kid. It was Christmas time, of course. We had put up the tree and everything. And then, of course, my mom did the motherly duties of putting the, the, the gifts under the tree. And I remember one day, uh, she was in the kitchen. So I snuck into the living room and I started shaking the presents to try to figure out which one was mine. And I I couldn't figure it out. So what I did was I I went to the corners of the gifts and started tearing the corners open (laughs) so I could see what gift it was that I got. Of course, my mom caught me. My mom caught me. And here's the truth. There's no way I could have rewrapped the gift once I had torn the corner. So I'd already given myself up. But you know how it is when you're a kid. You just don't think that far in advance of, if I open this thing, how am I going to cover this thing back up? And, and even though, you know, I, I tried to put tape on it, uh, no, <laughs> I still got busted. So the next year, my mom was like, I'm going to fix you. And I'm telling you, my mom, from that point forward until I was probably 18, 19 years old, from that day forward, my mom would wrap Christmas gifts like Fort Knox. I mean, dun, 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 like your mission should you accept it, would be to get into this Christmas gift. (laughs) So you should see, you should have seen myself and my sister as we got older trying to open these gifts. And I I think my mom could have actually invested in scotch tape because that was how much tape she put on those gifts to make sure that I wasn't going to be able to sneak into them once again. So, So what about you? What are some Christmas memories that pop up for you, some things that you did as a kid. What what comes to mind? I would love to be able to hear from you, but also I would encourage you, maybe share it with someone, share it with a friend, share it with a family member. But say, hey, I was listening to this podcast today and I was just thinking about some fun memories. And, and I just wanted to share this with you. This is just something that came to mind for me when I was a kid. Go ahead and share that with someone. And who knows? It might provide a great connection. If you have kids, share your Christmas memories with your kids, especially some of the silly things that you did as a child for Christmas. Just have some fun. Share those stories. Because, again, it's, it's just a great way to connect. And sometimes that is what brings us together for Christmas, isn't it? And maybe that's the part that I love. So last Sunday, the women from Encounter got together and they had their annual women's ornament exchange party. And when I got home, it was fun to hear about some of the experiences. My wife said, 
this year there was more stealing than ever. And when you have those kind of parties, it's the stealing that makes it fun. Now, just to let you know, the way that it works is kind of like a white elephant thing where you, one person opens a gift and then the next person goes and they have the opportunity to decide, do I take that gift or do I open a new gift? And, and one of the rules sometimes that we go by, well, maybe I shouldn't do that because I may reveal my wife's strategy. So, so I'm not going to say that, <laughs> just in case you listen to this podcast and then I get in trouble for revealing her strategy. But it's just kind of fun. And so this year, my wife was saying more women stole ornaments than ever before. And again, that's what makes it a lot of fun. But while the women were doing that, the guys, we got together to hang out and watch the Sunday night football game. So that was a lot of fun for us to just kind of hang out and connect and share stories and laugh and eat pizza. And so my friend who hosted it, he had these dark chocolate peanut butter cups. Oh, man. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. (laughs) Well, we also had, because I've gone vegetarian. And so they were nice enough to get two pizzas one for the vegetarian and, and one for the meat lovers. And let me tell you, some of the men ate the vegetarian pizza because this thing was incredible. It was from Roundhouse Pizza, and it, it had artichoke heart and zucchini. It, it probably was one of the best vegetarian pizzas that I've ever had. It was, it was so good. And so the meat eaters are going, hey, give me some of that. <laughs> I want some of that pizza. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but we did. We just watch the game, talk football, laugh. And I think that that's the part about Christmas that I do love. It, it's that it's the gathering, it's, it's, the, it's the connection, it's the, the coming together. Another gathering that I'm excited about this Christmas is on Thursday, December 23rd. It's the day after it opens. But myself and some friends, we got our tickets to see the new Matrix. <laughs> yes! I am so excited about that. And I hope it's good. <laughs> I hope it lives up. I hope that the week after Christmas when I'm doing the podcast, I am not saying, wait for it to come out on DVD. <laughs> I hope that I'm not saying that. I, I'm so excited about this movie. And I'm trying to curb my enthusiasm because I don't want to be disappointed. But the previews just look so stinking good. The trailers look awesome. But I'm trying to control myself. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Then, of course, Christmas Day, the gathering of family and friends and just coming together, that's huge. And again, just being able to see people that we haven't seen and just those connections. Let's make sure that we just enjoy them this year. We got Omicron hanging out over our heads Hopefully that doesn't hinder. I mean, there's, there's this spike right now that's happening with COVID. So let's just hope that it doesn't hinder the ability to be able to gather as a family, to be able to connect. Oh, something else I saw that was really interesting that I wanted to share with you guys. And then I'll get on with the podcast. But just imagine this. The Omicron virus, the Omicron variant of COVID is now released. And just imagine that you have a family restaurant and the name of your family is Omicron. 
<laughs> That's right. There's a family, and I forgot what state it's in. I saw a picture of it, where it's the Omicron family, and they have their restaurant, and now we have the Omicron variant. Like, man, that is... I'm sure they're thinking, like, come on, dude, what are you doing to us? What are you doing to us? Why would you name it that? But hopefully they can put a spin on it and just make it a lot of fun and be able to connect with others in that way, and it doesn't hamper their business at all. But we are we are in the middle of the series that we've been doing, and I don't know why I just shared this story. I just thought it was really interesting. But we're in the middle of the series that we, are, that we started called The Promise of Christmas. We are looking at what is it that Christmas offers to us. There's that one question that we're having that is driving the force of this series. And that question is just simply this, what does the birth of Jesus offer to me? So we started that last week. If you didn't listen to last week's podcast, please go back and listen to it. Also. If you missed the live, the live stream of last week, go back and watch that because we talk about how Jesus is the wonderful counselor. There's this one verse that is driving this entire series, and that's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it says, For to us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Wonderful Counselor, sorry. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So last week we covered Wonderful Counselor because the goal of this series is we want to also look at how Jesus lays the foundation for us not just to go to, go to heaven and spend eternity with him, but lays the foundation through his birth for us to have a great life right now. And so we looked at the idea of him being the wonderful counselor and just seeing what does that mean for us. And so, so today, we're looking at the second part of that passage, which is mighty God. That he's our mighty God. The Hebrew word for mighty God there is El Gabor. Kind of, I, I won't go into too much detail about that because I covered it last Sunday. If you missed last Sunday, please watch the live stream. But it can be translated as hero champion, valiant, warrior. And so when we look at that, or champion as well. So, so as we look at this passage, I think it's important for us to understand that God is a warrior. He's a warrior. Many times, again, when we look at God, we look at the, the one who's compassionate, forgiving, loving, gentle, kind. And yes, all of those things are true. But let's not make the mistake of not seeing the other side of God as well, that, that he's a perfect balance. I, I love it in, in John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 18, where it says Jesus was grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. What does that mean? It means he was full of grace. That grace is that forgiveness. The grace is that healing. The grace is that restoration. But he was also full of truth, and that, tr that truth really is judgment. That, that truth really is calling out wrong. That, that truth really is speaking into those things that are in our lives that's inconsistent with what it is that matters. That truth could also be consequences. 
So he's full of grace and forgiveness, but he also is willing to allow us to go through the consequences of our choices. And, and sometimes, if necessary, he may even bring those consequences, not because of just wanting to beat us up. You know, there, there is a difference between discipline and punishment. And in Hebrews, we were reminded to look upon the love of God as discipline and not punishment. So what is the difference between the two? Is punishment is just that. Punishment is punishment for the sake of punishment. I, I think when we look at the penal system of America, uh, because according to some of the statistics that I've seen, we are probably one of the most, have the most people in prison in our nation compared to other nations around the world. And also one of the challenges that we're starting to see is that prison does not always provide rehabilitation or someone turning their life around so that they don't go back to prison. And here's the thing that's really interesting is, is once you go to prison, you're further penalized. Like, like you go to prison, you pay your debt to society, and then you go to apply for a job. And, and one of the first questions that you may find on your application is, have you ever been in prison? And you have to say yes, because if you say no and they find out, then you get fired immediately. But then you're tempted to say no, because if you say yes, you get not hired immediately. And so you're continuing to have to pay the consequences for those choices that you've made. Especially just imagine if you make these choices when you're young and you really don't know better. And you're continuing to pay the penalty for that. That's punishment. Punishment is where you continue to suffer for the decisions that you've made and there's no opportunity really to turn your life around. There's no opportunity really to be a better person. You just continue to suffer. It's, and, and punishment is suffering for the sake of suffering. But discipline, discipline is different. And although God is a warrior, and although God may allow us to go through the consequences of the choices that we make, the goal of the warrior who doles out those consequences is not so that we will go and be punished for the sake of being punished. The goal of those consequences is so that we will recognize discipline. And the goal of discipline is renewal. The goal of discipline is to expose ourselves to our false thoughts, our, our false mindsets, uh, to those things are that are destructive to us so that we can look upon those things and then begin to look at how can we turn our lives around. And then the goal of discipline is to say, now that you've recognized what it is that you've done wrong, now that you've been exposed to that, now let me grab your hand and let me walk with you through the restorative process. So yes, God is compassionate, but yes, God is also a warrior. 
God is also our champion. So when that passage says, Jesus, mighty God, we have to recognize that Jesus is a warrior. That Jesus is, again, a champion. And, and what is it that defines someone as a warrior? One of the things that I talked about on Sunday is we have to be able to recognize the difference between being a winner and being a champion. We have to be able to recognize the differences between those two. Because many times, what we want is to be a winner. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. A winner is not enough. What happens with being a winner is you may benefit and you may overcome. You may change, but it stops there. The idea of being a champion, though, is that I am able to bring you with me. That my overcoming is not just for my own benefit or my own gain. That my over, overcoming is so that you and I, again, will be able to walk hand in hand victoriously. That's a champion. A champion doesn't just fight for himself. A champion fights, or herself. A champion fights for those that are around them. A champion doesn't just look at what is best for me to overcome this. A champion looks at how can we work together to be able to overcome the challenges that we face. And so much like what we did last week, last week what we did was we found a website and we just kind of walked through what are the characteristics of someone who is a wonderful counselor. And then we looked at how Jesus is just that, that he's our wonderful counselor. So what I wanted to do this week is kind of follow along the same pattern. If Jesus is our El Gabor, if he is our mighty warrior, our mighty God, if he is our champion, then what is it? What is it that characterizes someone as a great champion? I found another website called stunningmotivation.com. I just was looking and I was just asking the question, what is it that makes someone a great champion? It had a list of 10. I'm not going to go through all 10 of those things. But there are some things that stood out to me and I thought, you know, that really connects with Jesus and who Jesus is and that Jesus is our champion. Here is the first one. Big dreams. Big dreams. And it was saying all champions have a big dream. For those athletes that have made it to the Olympics, do you know that they set their goals so high that they have to work so hard for four straight years just for the few days, few hours, or some even the few minutes of the competition? Of the competition. Like, wow. And it says they definitely won't make it to the Olympics if they don't have a strong faith with their dream. They dream big. And they dare to dream. They dare to commit and say 
they must get to the Olympics. I thought, oh, that's a that's really great insight. Just think about it. People that are champions, one of the things that you notice is they just have that dream. Matter of fact, people that are champions, they have that expectation, don't they? They just do. Tom Brady isn't playing football for the sake of playing football. I tell you that now. Tom Brady loves the competition. Yes, he does. Tom Brady loves the camaraderie. Yes, he does. But we also know Tom Brady loves to win. <laughs> he loves to win. Not only that, he has this dream of himself being one of the greatest to ever play the game. And if he were to retire right now, many people would say, and many of us would agree, he is the greatest to ever play the game of football. At least the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football. The greatest ever. Big dreams. Big dreams. It does make sense, too, when you watch some of the backstories of the Olympics. Like, I love watching the Olympics because they do share the backstories of the athletes and how they got there. And sometimes you get an opportunity to get some insight into their growth, into their development, and how to get to this point. And the, the, the cool part that I love to see is when the dream is initiated. When the dream starts, I, I love that part. And let me tell you, for Jesus, the dream started before he was even born. It started before he was even born. That's why it says, for us, for to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. Now realize that this is a prophecy that was spoken nearly 700 years before Jesus Christ existed. 700 years before Jesus Christ existed. And yet, as we look at this, what it communicates to us is at the point that he would be born, from that point forward, boom, he would be a champion. He would be a mighty God. And, and part of that is there was this dream that already existed for Jesus before he existed, and then once he stepped into existence, he continued to pursue that dream. I, I love this. There's this one day where Jesus is in the temple. He reads a passage and it says this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be free. And at the time of the Lord's favor has come. You know what that is? That is a dream. That's a dream. That's a dream of who Jesus Christ would be. So literally, what he does, it says then, he rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then Jesus began to speak to them. He says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And the scripture that he's reading is Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2. 
So again, he's reading something that will pertain to him 700 years later. But as we look at this, this is, I mean, just look at the components of this passage. Anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the poor in spirit, to the poor financially, to bring good news. What is that good news? Well, just think about it. When you're poor, what's the most important news that you could have? Hope. Isn't it? It's, it, it's hope. It's hope of the possibilities that one day I will rise out of my certain, my, my condition, my, my situation, my difficulty, my hardship. It, it's hope. And then it says, he has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. The captives, the prisoners that will be set free. And many of us, we are imprisoned. We're imprisoned to our thoughts. We're imprisoned to our habits. We're imprisoned to, you know, just our mindset. We're imprisoned to sometimes the way that we think about ourselves. We're, we're, we're imprisoned. And I'm not just talking about a physical imprisonment. And many of us may find ourselves in that. But I've seen people who are physically imprisoned and yet spiritually free. And I've seen some people who are physically free, yet spiritually imprisoned. And what Jesus desires to do, according to this, with that big dream, is to set all captives free. That if you are in physical imprisonment because of the choices that you have made, that you can be forgiven, that you can be restored, that you can be healed, and you can begin to live differently so that you overcome whatever it was that caused you to be physically imprisoned. But also for those of you that are mentally imprisoned, spiritually imprisoned, emotionally imprisoned, he's also come to set you free. That the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. That's who he is. And, and that was his dream. A dream that again, that became reality because of the way that ultimately he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. This allows us to begin to embrace what it is that Jesus Christ has done and who he is. He is our champion. He has fought for us. He fought for us. He, he went to the cross and he fought for us. Why? So that we could be free. It's important to understand that sometimes being a great warrior doesn't necessarily mean that you pick up arms. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you pick up weapons. Sometimes being a great warrior simply means that you fight for what matters most. And we can clearly see that according to Jesus, the thing that mattered most to him is us. The other thing in that article that it said that I loved about champions is it said champions have extreme confidence. It says champions believe in their capabilities and know what they can do. They maintain this sense of self even under pressure are when things are not going well. And the thing that I think of is I think of this. 
When the game is on the line, Tom Brady wants the ball. And as a matter of fact, in a game yesterday, my beloved Buccaneers played my mother-in-law's beloved Bills. And so, and so, yes, there was a little bit of strife in our home. Fun strife, <laughs> you know. But my, my mother-in-law, she's a Buffalo Bills fan, and I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, and they played each other yesterday. And it just went down to the wire. The Buccaneers actually started out really well, and then they kind of fell apart, and the Bills... You know, they, they turn things around and the Bills turn things around. And next thing you know, we go into overtime. The Bills get the ball. The Buccaneers stop them. The ball is given to the Bucks. Tom Brady drops back and he hits a guy named Perriman as he's crossing the middle. And then Perriman goes on to score the touchdown. Tom Brady was confident. Like, I, I know that I can lead us to victory. I know that can lead us to victory. Now think about it. When, when the Lakers would play, when the game was on the line, Kobe wanted the ball. Kobe wanted the ball. And you knew that Kobe was going to do something incredible with it. Magic Johnson wanted the ball. And you knew Magic Johnson was going to do something incredible with it. LeBron James wants the ball. And you know that LeBron James will hopefully do something incredible with it. <laughs> I know I'm not as big of a LeBron James fan as I am Kobe and Magic, but LeBron is a good player. He's, he's a good player. Great player? I don't know, but he's a good player. And, and, and I digress, so I'll change this because I know that I'm probably going to make a LeBron James fan upset with me. Just to let you know, if you want to give me the LeBron James thing, feel free to do so. <laughs> but, but I digress, and I'll, I'll just move on. I'll just move on. But they're confident and their abilities. There's this one time where Jesus is in the temple. Now, just to let you know, there are actually two instances of Jesus clearing the temple. One is when he starts his ministry, and the second is when he finishes his ministry. So in last Sunday's message, I read the one where Jesus finishes his ministry. What I want to do today is I want to look at the one where Jesus starts his ministry. Because again, he goes in and what he does is he clears things out because he sees people misusing his temple, misusing the Lord's temple, misusing the opportunity to be able to worship. And so he decides to drive them out so that we can have this opportunity really to be able to worship God. It says this in verse 18, James, and sorry, John chapter 2, verse 18. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. So basically, here they are. Have you ever someone? I've ever had someone do that. Like you're like they're in the wrong. They're in the wrong for what it is that they're doing, but they want you to prove why you have the authority to do what it is that you do to deal with the fact that they're wrong. Have you ever ran into somebody like that? And so that's basically what happens. It's, yeah, we're doing the wrong thing, but what gives you the authority to do the right thing? What gives you the authority to demand that we do the right thing? What, and basically what I, what I see here is a grown-up's temper tantrum. <laughs> that's what I see happening here. What gives you the authority to stand up and throw us out? Blah, 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 wah, wah, wah. But then Jesus says this. He says, all right, verse 19, all right, Jesus replied. Destroyed this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. 
Now, they thought he was talking about the physical temple because they go into like, hey, it's, it took us 46 years to build this. What makes you think that you're going to be able to, to, to rebuild it in three days after we tear it down? And he's not talking about that. He's talking about his body. And he's talking about the confidence he had, that he already has. Like, I already know what's going to happen. I already know what I'm going to do. So you can stand there, you can gripe, you can moan, you can complain, you can whine. But I'm telling you now, I'm telling you now, destroy my body, and in three days, I will rise up again. That's confidence. That's confidence. And just to remind you that the confidence that Jesus had came from the fact that of his purpose. And that's the thing about a champion, is a champion lives for a purpose. A champion lives for a purpose. So the other element that this article talked about when it comes to a champion and what is it that defines a champion, it, it talked about passion, that they're driven by passion. And, and that makes sense. You have to be passionate about pursuing your dream. You have to be passionate about putting the work in. You have to be. And when you think about the early mornings where you have to get up and you don't want to get up. When you think about the, the, the naysayers that you have to face that you really don't want to face. When you think about all of the challenges that you have to go through in order to be a champion, in order to be a warrior, it takes passion to do that. It takes passion to do that. And, and I, I love what Jesus says in John chapter 10, because what you do in this passage is you get a sense of the passion that he has. And it says in John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So, so let's just start there with sacrifice. That he's willing to give everything, and ultimately, he does. He goes to the cross and he gives everything. You don't do that without passion. You don't. And it goes on to say in verse 12, a hired hand will run when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's, only, he's working only for the money and doesn't care about the sheep. I, I love when people describe the passion that they have for their job. Like, like I've heard people say, you know what, I would do this job for free. Like I love this job so much, I would do it for free but thank you for paying me. <laughs> I want the paycheck, but I do it for free. I love this job. Is there anything in your life that you're that passionate about? And let me tell you that Jesus is passionate about you. And it, and, and it makes sense. Because to be a champion for something means in order for it to become great, is you have to be willing to suffer. 
You have to be willing to go through difficulties. You have to be willing to possibly go through injury and hurt and pain. Jesus Christ is sitting with his disciples on the night that he is going to be arrested. And he turns and he says to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And then later on, he tells Judas, Judas, hey, go ahead and go and do what you're going to do. Judas gets up and leaves. But what I, what I really want you to understand is the passion that Jesus has. He cares so much about Judas that he allows Judas to sit down with him when he eats his final meal with his disciples. He allows Judas to come to him and he washes Judas's feet along with the rest of the other disciples. That's that's a kind of passion that I can't begin to comprehend or understand. We're talking about the kind of passion where Jesus Christ would go to the cross and die for us, although some of us would reject him. I'm talking about the kind of passion where Jesus Christ would go to the cross, although he knew as some of us would continue to struggle with our habits and with our thought processes and with our mindsets. And, and those things would be like nailing him to the cross over and over and over and over again, but he was willing to take all of it. He was willing to take all of it. Because that's how passionate he is for us. And that's how passionate he is. What does the birth of Jesus do for us? What does he do for you? Maybe you're asking, what does the birth of Jesus do for me? Is it gives me someone who is so passionate for me that he's willing to fight through all of my foibles and struggles and wrestles. And at the end of the day, he will never, ever, ever give up on me. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. He knows you. He knows you. He knows me. And yet he's so passionate that he dies anyway. <laughs> and that he rises for me. Anyway. To give me another opportunity. Hmm. I have sheep, I have other sheep that are not in this sheepfold, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there 
will be one flock with one shepherd. I, I love this. We talk about this whole idea of oneness and one family, one, we're all one human race. But we don't always treat each other like that, do we? We don't always treat us, each other like that. But as we think about just the impact of what it could be, why does Jesus fight for us? Because he wants this love to be universally experienced and universally known. So let's do that. One of the things that I talked about on Sunday is that when you are around a champion, you also become one as well. And I challenged our church and I also want to challenge you. Who are you a champion for? Before you put this podcast away, maybe even now, maybe even now, why don't you take a moment and pause this podcast asking God this simple question. God, who is it in my life that you want me to be a champion? Ask him that question. Now pause the podcast. Now, for those of you that did that, the, for those of you that paused the podcast, thank you. Thank you so much for, for doing that. And, and I wonder, does someone come to mind for you? What does it mean to be a champion for someone? A, a champion means that I'm going to invest in you to help you to begin to experience the best in your life. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to encourage you and love you and support you. I'm going to pray for you. And, and maybe the fighting that we do is on our knees and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray for that person. We pray for their growth. We pray for their knowledge. We pray for their insight. We pray for their connection with God. We pray for their heart. We pray for their love. We, we pray for addictions to be broken. We pray for families to be restored. Who is it that God has given us this kind of passion to pray for? That's what it means to be a champion. So who is it in your life that you're investing in to help them become the best version of themselves? Who is it that you're investing in to help them cross the line of, of eternity and know that they're going to spend it with Jesus? Who is that person? I want to challenge you. Like, if you pray that prayer and no one comes to mind, then there's a strong possibility that your circle is too small. That maybe your circle only consists of other Christians that are around you who are pursuing God as well. And, and maybe it's time to expand your circle to include someone 
who is far from God. Maybe it's time to do that. So maybe start looking at work. What kind of connections and relationships can you build? Maybe if your kids play sports, what other parents can you connect with, build relationships with? Maybe get involved in the community. What kind of program can you volunteer with where you're building kind of relationships with people who are really getting to know you very well? And the result of it is that their lives are changing, they're growing, they're developing, they're becoming a better version of themselves as well. But maybe, just maybe, if you pray that prayer, no one came to mind. I believe your circle is too small. And it's time to become intentional. The same way that Jesus Christ left heaven to be intentional about connecting with us, it is time for us to begin to be intentional about connecting with others. And so maybe what you can do is do that. It's just pray. Hey, God, what are some avenues in my life where I can begin to connect with others, building relationships with others so that I can become a champion in the life of someone else and ultimately lead them to the greatest champion of our life and our hearts, Jesus Christ himself. Well, again, I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. And I just wanted to give you a quick reminder that encounters about three things. Love up. Let's fall madly and passionately in love with God. Love out. Let's make a commitment to truly love others. And then love in. As you are pursuing loving God and loving others, it is amazing the kind of love that you'll develop towards yourself. God bless you and continue to enjoy your Christmas season. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for joining us for the Encounter Community Church podcast. If you could do us a favor, whatever service it is that you're listening to this podcast on, please rate and review us. If there's anything that we can do better, please let us know. But by rating and review, it also make our podcast easier for others to be able to find. If you would like to support us at Encounter financially with what it is that we're doing to make a difference in our community, whether it's the mobile food bank, whether it's serving at North High School, or making a difference, again, in our community, feel free to head over to our website, encountercommunity.church. Click the link that says online giving. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way, when we post new live streams or new vlogs, you'll be updated. As well as, please head over to Facebook and like our page. That way, when we post new podcasts, again, new vlogs, new live streams, or have church events, you'll be updated and know what's going on here at Encounter. As we said before, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you with us, and we look forward to you being a part of the podcast next week.